long list of injuries. I had uh, 12 broken ribs, multiple brain bleeds, a fracture to the C6, uh, crushed esophagus, bruised lungs, and then multiple fractures from T4 to T11, including a burst at T7, T8, which is what caused the spinal cord injury. While downhill mountain biking, today's guest suffered a tragic life-altering accident that left him paralysed due to a spinal cord injury in 2020. Mindset and determination is seeing him defy the odds to become a sponsored adaptive athlete, competing in adaptive mountain biking and pursuing other athletic opportunities, whether it be returning to the mats in BJJ, lifting weights or exploring Paralympic sports. Episode 99, Andrew Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. Perfect. Hi, Andrew. Hey, how are you? Good. You've just joined me from the gym. You're putting me to shame. So I'm uh, I'm living vicariously through you because I'm thinking that I should probably go to the gym or at least go for a walk today, but <laughs> I'm probably <Yeah>. not, <laughs> to be honest. Fair, fair enough. I'll, I'll go for both of us tomorrow. <laughs> okay, this is good. It's even putting me more to shame considering you're doing the gym and you've got a spinal, spinal cord injury. So, um, yeah, that, that's you know, kudos to you. Explain to me sort of how that injury occurred. Yeah. Uh, so about two and a half years ago, I was, I was a very athletic person. Um, mountain biking was my sport of passion. And I used to, actually it was my first year competing um, in downhill mountain bike racing. There was at a local, uh, uh, bike resort, uh, downhill bike resort. They have a summer race series. It was like the second last race of the of the season coming up, and I was training for it. And it was one of the last last runs of the day. Me and my buddy, and uh, I remember kicking off of the the ground to uh, head towards the last trail, and that's all I remember uh, from his explanation to me. My understanding is I likely so this trail is a double black diamond it's a pure drop downhill with a jump at the bottom he found me right before the jump so likely what happened is i was uh front loading the front suspension ready to pop off the jump and likely hit something in the trail which probably sent me over the handlebars which uh i had a long list of injuries i had uh 12 broken ribs multiple brain bleeds, a fracture to the C6, uh, crushed esophagus, bruised lungs, and then multiple fractures from T4 to T11, including a burst at T7, T8, which is what caused the spinal cord injury. So when you say a burst, you're saying, like, what does that mean? Yeah, so uh, essentially the, um, the vertebrae, the spinal column, those two vertebrae of T7 and T8, they burst. Uh, so the impact hit that area. And it was so severe that the, those two vertebrae basically broke into a bunch of pieces, uh, which sent those pieces uh, through my spinal cord. And then your spinal cord's licking out because your spine there's no bone around the spinal cord holding it in. 
Yeah, so there's two types of spinal cord injuries. You have an incomplete and a complete injury. Complete means they're, it's completely severed, no chance of any kind of recovery. Uh, all the signals are completely stopping at the site of injury. Incomplete means that whether it's 5%, 70%, whatever, there's a part of that spinal cord that actually still exists and, uh, and signals are able to still get down to some degree. Um, so I was initially uh, labeled as a T7 complete injury uh, because I had nothing below my chest, which is where the T7 is. Um, in terms of nothing, I had no movement, no sensation, nothing. Uh, as of now, I... And it's been two and a half years since the accident. I now uh, appear and present as closer to a T10 incomplete injury. So from your point of view, in terms of a quality of living, those three vertebrae from a T7 to a T10, what does that mean in terms of your injury? Yeah, so um, I, when I was initially paralyzed in the hospital, like, well, when I first woke up, I could barely move anything. I actually think uh, the C6 fracture I had, I think, caused spinal shock. So although the cord wasn't impacted, uh, your spinal cord could still go through what's called spinal shock because I couldn't move my whole right arm or anything like that. That only lasted for a few days, so the spinal shock started to wear out. T7, where the actual injury to the spinal cord took place, uh, once I started to kind of regain um, you know, cognitive function and able to move my body that. I had no movement or sensation uh, below the, just below the nipple line. So I couldn't feel anything, couldn't move anything, absolutely nothing. So pretty much um, in terms of functionality, yeah, like I can move my upper torso, arms fully once my arm did kind of come back uh, from the spinal shock. And uh, yeah, that was about it. The early days too, it's, it's hard to assess those things because your body is like, I, they didn't even expect me to survive the surgery and they kept me in a medically indu induced coma for about i think it was nine days and then they woke me up and you're just kind of laying there your body is like in kind of reboot mode it has no idea what happened it's in shock and kind of just taking it day by day so it was about a month before i was able to kind of assess kind of what my situation was and what abilities i had and didn't have at that point what was life like before the injury? How long, like, obviously you were very active. You were doing this down downhill, is it, was it mountain biking? Is that? Mountain biking, yeah. Okay. So how long had you been doing that for? Because if you're doing black diamond runs and competitions and all that sort of bizarre. Like, yeah, like, I mean, like I, were... yeah, I was heavily into it. Uh, so mountain biking. I did it since I was a teenager, but like taking it seriously, I did it for about three years uh, previous to the accident. And then I was heavily involved in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, lifting weights. Uh, so I was a very active person overall uh, outside of, uh, you know, my work life and, and all that. So when you wake up from the induced coma, what are the first words? Like, Who do you first see and what are their first words to you? Uh, this is like middle of COVID, so it was pretty much no family. Uh, I was the, the doctor, uh, well, the nurse that got the doctor. Uh, I honestly don't remember the first interaction. Like, I was hyped up on so much drugs and, and 
for the good stuff. Yeah, exactly, right? I remember, I remember they gave me a button uh, at some point uh, for painkillers. You just press the button, and uh, every 10 minutes they get a shoot of it. That button became my best friend for quite a while. Um, but yeah, in terms of, uh, uh, I do remember some of the more earlier interactions, and it's just a bit foggy. I do remember my uncle being there. Um, and I remember just like, I couldn't talk because I had like the tubes down my throat, but I remember like, and I asked to like write, I could barely write because my arm was like just kind of waking up and finally was able to write enough where it was somewhat legible. Um, and I had two concerns, two main concerns was, am I ever going to talk again? Because I had no idea. As I, I knew I couldn't talk, there's a bunch of tubes down my throat. That worried me. Uh, and then I was really concerned if my, my grandmother was okay. And uh, so the answer to both those questions was yes, thankfully. Uh, but I do remember those were my first questions. And uh, I remember they told me, you know, you, you had an accident, um, spinal cord injury, and you likely may never walk again. But I you don't process that in that moment because like there's pain everywhere like my ribs hurt the most and there's just like so much confusion and, and chaos going on in your brain like so much to take in so i actually didn't really it's not that i didn't care but it wasn't like i heard them i didn't care to acknowledge it because like i was trying to assess the situation fully you know like is my grandmother okay can i talk what's this pain where am i what happened so i probably didn't settle in for probably about a week why were you so concerned about your grandmother i live with my grandmother i have for i don't know like 12 years and even before that honestly my grandparents pretty much were the ones that raised me um and so i've just always had a really really close bond with her um and as i said i live with her so i was just really really concerned about her well-being how she was taking it and it's that she was okay so considering <clears throat> you're in the middle of, and I know that Canada Canada wasn't as bad as Melbourne in terms of the lockdowns, but you guys were locked down and, and it sounds like you had similar sort of a situation in terms of no visitors in the hospitals and, and whatnot. When was the, how long into you waking up, did you, were you able to have family members come and see you? Because I would have thought from a mental health point of view, that would have been quite tough. Yeah, honestly, uh, I'm not a doctor or anything like that, so I'm not going to comment on, uh, you know, the way the hospitals ran during COVID. But like, I will yeah. say, like, um, you know, getting exposure to outside and having family around, you know, it it definitely improves people's recovery, mental health, and stuff like that. Uh, and unfortunately, due to the situation, couldn't go outside to get you know exposure to the sun. Uh, that was weird. The first time going outside, actually, because obviously I had the accident in the middle of summer. And then I go outside for the first time and it was like fall. So that was a really weird thing. Um, but yeah, in terms of family, you were only allowed. They actually just, when I have an accident, they just eased it up a bit. So right before my accident, apparently no visitors at all. But while I was in the hospital, like within a week, so once I woke up, uh, they just changed the policy, thankfully, where you're allowed one visitor. Uh, and so we deemed my uncle just because he was the most mobile and he has a bit of a medical background just from working under a doctor. And uh, so that was the choice there. By the time I made it to the rehab hospital a month later, I was allowed to have um, 
they're a little it's technically only supposed to be two visitors on the roster one at a time but they're a little lackadaisical about it so i, I had multiple people uh but it still could only be the one at a time well that's good in terms of <clears throat> you getting to the stage where you had rehab you're waking up you've got you're intubated, so you've got tubes and down your throat, which would have been, I, I would imagine, extremely uncomfortable. Um, what was that process to even get you to the rehab? Because I, I don't even know what the tick points are to get you there with a spinal injury. Yeah, so it's going to be different um, all over the world. So in Canada, the way our healthcare is, it's provincial. So I can only speak to Ontario. I can't speak to the rest of Canada because um, it's provincially regulated, so everything's going to be slightly different depending on province. But for here, we only have the one um, main spinal cord injury uh, rehab hospital for the whole province. So whatever hospital you end up in, um, and assuming you know you survive surgery and stuff like that, they have their assessments, you are then put on an immediate waiting list. Obviously, um, you're bumped to the top given the circumstances, but, uh, and basically waiting till a bed opens up at that rehab hospital. So it was about a month of me being at the main hospital I was at, Sunnybrook. Um, and during that time, obviously they're still doing their tests and, you know, assessment, stuff like that. Uh, but then otherwise it's pretty much just keeping you alive and waiting till that bed opens up. They have a, a hospital physiotherapist. They'll come check on you, uh, like once for like, 10 minutes, but like obviously they're stretched so thin because they got to cover so much of the hospital. Um, and then, yeah, so for me, the bed opened up thankfully uh, within the month. Uh, so I, and it, the rehab hospital for myself uh, was only thankfully like 10, 15 minutes away from the main hospital that I got um, transferred to after my accident versus like I, some of the guys I went to rehab with had to get flown to the uh, rehab hospital because Ontario is a pretty big province. Um, so, yeah, they just come pick you up with an ambulance, transport you um, to your new home for the next few months, and um, that's that's the process anyway. So if the hospital that you in your province is not so good as another one in another province in regards to spinal care um, injury, are you able to transfer? Can you request a transfer to that other hospital? No. Um, so for us, again, healthcare is provincial. So we're covered under, for Ontario anyway, it's called OHIP, um, publicly funded. And so you kind of just get what they give you. So for me, I actually, um, this, there's obviously some like debates and stuff like that, but I'll, I will credit the U.S., probably has some of the best facilities uh, in the world for spinal care. Um, and to be fair, it's funded accordingly. Uh, so, you know, I thought about going to the U.S. Uh, just because the care would like with COVID too. That was the other thing is everything was pretty much running on uh, bare minimum. So like the pool, which is huge for like the aqua physio and cut out completely uh the actual physio sessions were shortened some of the other facility like um training facilities within the the hospital were like kind of cut off so it was like very bare but uh i opted to just stick it out 
Um, because again, it's all new to me. Don't really know. I spent that time just kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to focus on recovering and defying the odds, regardless of what these people tell me. But I got to, you know, learn how to like function to my best ability first. So that's what they mainly focus on. They don't focus on actual recovery. They more so focus on teaching how to live with it, which was against my main philosophy. But I did accept that, like, I still need to learn how to live with it in the moment, even if I'm going to walk again. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of transferring hospitals and stuff like that, no, you're kind of stuck with what you get here. Uh, and that goes provincially and nationally. Uh, so you can only stay within the province. Uh, you cannot go to another province, but even within the province, what you get is what you get unless you're connected um, and you have someone up the chain that can kind of shuffle some papers around. Tell me about your mindset. Uh, you mentioned there that that you didn't want to accept initially, obviously, that you wouldn't walk again, that in terms of learning how to live with it, that was their main focus, but you didn't want to accept that you were going to be in the situation forever. So tell me about your mindset because I would be devastated if I woke up and had a spinal cord injury, as most people would be. Uh, so how did you become, remain so positive in terms of your outlook? I think it comes down to my, like a lot of the other athletes I've met post-injury have a similar mentality. So I, I kind of give a credit to that, that athlete mentality that I had before the injury. Um, yeah, like I just, I refuse to accept that someone else is dictating my future and my outcome uh, and to not even try. So am I going to guarantee that I'm ever going to walk again? Uh, technology is pretty much actually increasing quite a bit. There's actually a, a place there in Australia uh, operated by a gentleman called Ken Ware that's having really good progress. They just did um, first run of uh, trials in Australia too for a uh, a peptide company that's actually based in BC, but it was easier for them to do their first trials in Australia. So yeah, I I think that's a good chance with like, you know, the way things are going but if nothing comes out of that at the very least i want to make sure my body's ready for that stuff but also i think i want to try i want to push myself to see how far i can go and i want to be in control of the outcome of my life uh so i refuse to accept and be told oh, okay this is this is where you're at nothing's gonna happen this is your reality and i don't agree with someone telling me that like telling me how my life is going to be, how my outcome is going to be. I've, I've fought so hard before my injury to get to where I was and I wasn't going to just let everything go that easily anyway. And so they told me I would never, I was unlikely. They never said never. Um, I said it was highly unlikely was I think the terminology they used to ever recover anything and maybe a little below side of injury, but, but that'd be it. And again, side of injury, T7. So I had no movement, no sensation below my chest line. Uh, when I first got out of the rehab hospital, I found a private clinic, um, neurophysio clinic that focused on recovery. Was there five days a week. I also went down to Panama for stem cells. I was going to ask there, about stem cells, yeah. Yeah, so did that. That's in works for another round because if you do that stuff, you got to go multiple times. It's not a one and done kind of thing. You got to put in the work for it as well. 
And so long story short, um, you know, someone that was T7, complete injury, paralyzed at the chest, no feeling, no movement. I now have all my core, all my abdominal muscles down to the pelvic region, all my back. If you get me in a pool or a zero gravity environment, my right hip flexor is engaging and my glutes kind of engage, but nothing functional. So, and that's, you know, it's definitely kind of died out a bit, but that's kind of where we're at now. And I'm not, I'm not giving up that fight either. Am I making it my sole purpose and, and sole focus? No, I'm trying to rebuild, you know, my life in general, but I'm also not giving up on that fight. Was there a, a, a moment that you can actually pinpoint where you had that talk to yourself saying, I'm not going to accept this diagnosis? Yeah, I think it's an ongoing fight. You know, you're yeah. a lot of people look at me and say, oh, you're inspirational. So it's, you got to have that conversation with you and choose into it every single day. In terms of a moment where I really decided to go down the path, I remember, you know, the early days in the hospital, definitely like, I hated it. I wanted I wanted to jump out the window. Ironically, if I could jump out the window, I wouldn't have wanted to jump out the window because that means I could walk. But um, yeah, I just had this so much anger and hatred but then i remember so i couldn't even initially sit up uh, on the edge of the bed um one i was very weak but two every time i did my blood pressure would just uh tank or i think it skyrocket either way whichever way the blood pressure went i would then just start going blurry i'd feel weak i'd have to lay down right away so i couldn't even sit up on the edge of the bed and i finally got to a point like a week before they discharged me to the rehab hospital that i was able to sit up on, on the bed and I was able to hold it and I was like okay I did this this thing that was pissing me off and I was able to actually do I did it so I was like okay I was able to do this what else can I do and it was such a minor little thing and it was like I wasn't even at the starting line I was just like waking up the head to the starting line at this point but that kind of like that little win you know it's a little win that's all it takes to kind of engage your mind to push forward to kind of spark the energy you need to kind of go down that path. You were a young man when it happened. You're 25. Were you in a relationship or playing the field? Uh, no, I, I was, my ex and I broke up probably about eight months before the accident. Just about. So what does that look like now in terms of dating? I uh, still still single, um, but like I used to think the chair was an issue. Uh, I would think, oh, you know, what do I have to offer with this whole wheelchair thing? No one's gonna want to date me, but that's that's not true. Uh, I'm single, I think, mostly through my own choices um, in terms of just being so focused on rebuilding life and and, and recovery. Because I've had, uh, I've had women interested. I've gone on dates, pretty good ones too, and I, I've had ongoing conversation with potential uh partners and uh but that go really well so i i don't think i'll say because i know a lot of people are in the same kind of boat where they think they can't date because the wheelchair and you know when they're in the situation or disability and i, I would say like you just got to put yourself out there um but like you also have to know your worth and that's that's the big piece you need to really rebuild your self-worth in your head uh, before you go down the road of, of seriously dating. So in terms of um, 
work and everything now, have you had, when you approach employers or if you're still at your current employer, have you had to ask them to to be um, adaptive in terms of your workstation? I work for an amazing company. I work for asset management for one of the largest banks in Canada. Uh, they have been phenomenal from day one. They uh, assisted me with all the insurance stuff. Let me take my leave. They didn't force me back at any time. Uh, I was off for almost two years um, and then returned and returned. It was gradual. Again, no pressure to return full time. And they were very adaptive, getting everything set up. Even to this day, uh, yeah, they even gave me a platform to kind of speak a little and no, they've been great. Um, I've not had to look for another employer or another job. I've been with the company for eight years. So uh, quite a number of years before the accidents and they've been phenomenal. I don't see myself um, actually wanting to work for another company. Mm. Um, to be honest, I think this will be like, I'm trying to do my own thing, build that up, uh, which would be where I kind of lead myself into. But in terms of working for someone else, I'm very content working for who I work for and uh, don't see myself being in a situation where I would need to ask any other employers that. Wow, that's incredible and unusual, I would imagine, in terms of... I, I've heard, yeah, I've heard that some people have had really bad luck or bad experiences. So I, I'm definitely very grateful for, you know, an amazing team and amazing company. You mentioned that you were doing um, the patient-controlled medication um, when you woke up with your best mate, obviously. (laughs) I mean, what they're giving you is probably morphine and a whole lot of other um, good stuff. Were you ever concerned that you would get addicted to the medication? Not really. I mean, that button was like my best. I was in a very depressed state. That button was my best friend because like it kind of just made me tired and then I could sleep and forget I existed. Um, so like I was in very like, I don't want to be alive mode at the beginning when I had that button. Uh, they had me on a few other drugs like Baclin and stuff like that. My biggest concern actually was around medication wasn't addiction. It was, uh, are these medications going to, you know, suppress my nervous system, and prevent recovery? So hopping out of the hospital, I was off that very powerful, friendly uh, drug of mine, obviously. And I went over to the rehab hospital and I left the rehab hospital off everything uh, because I had concerns around um, the drugs they had me on, suppressing my nervous system and preventing recovery. So that's, I wouldn't have thought that the medication in regards to suppressing nervous system, but it makes sense in terms of it's a painkiller that's what it would essentially be doing but i would have thought there would have been some medication out there that wouldn't suppress your nervous system for people that are trying to activate their nervous system like you yeah it's a catch-22 with any medication you take right for every positive thing that it's doing there's always going to be a side effect to some degree Mm. um and for me there was the painkillers uh, which honestly didn't do anything anyway, so I was happy to get off them. And another drug that they put you on called baclofen, because when you have a spinal cord injury, some people have very flaccid um, legs. Mine were not. They have a lot of spasms and spasticity, which means the muscles are still activating on their own uh, and trying to grab. So like that whole 
my legs are basically dancing. The muscles are trying to figure out what's going on, but they can't send the signals up to my brain. Uh, so they instead do their own thing. So baclofen is, that's how it works, is by trying to suppress the nervous system enough to prevent that. Honestly, both drugs, both the painkillers and the baclofen, mediocre at best for what it was supposed to do for me anyway. So I I just hopped off it because I, I had no desire to be on medication. And I, like, I'm a firm believer that, like, you kind of have to demand recovery out of your, your body. And I, I feel like some of those medications kind of prevent that ability. And I also just didn't want them to suppress the nervous system because my mind, like, well, if I'm trying to recover my nervous system, why am I going to suppress it? You mentioned and touched on something there, Andrew, that was very interesting. The first part of the conversation that we've had, it's come across that you were very positive in terms of mindset and um, very determined in regards to overcoming it. But then you've also touched on that you were quite depressed at the time, which I would think would be quite normal um, in regards to the injury. And I know that you can only speak to for yourself and not for others, but how did you pull yourself out of that negative mindset? Yeah, it's another one, right? Like it's an ongoing battle. Um, it's just one of those things that for a while there, I had to, when I say a while, I'm talking like the first year or so, I had to, there's a conversation every day to choose into it. Um, for yourself? Any, yeah, like just choosing in like, okay, like I want to do this. I want to move forward one more day. Just keep moving. Like it's, you know, and then that gradually changes over time from one day to one week to, you know, a month to I'm in a really good headspace now. Uh, that might change in a month or two, who knows, but like, you know, it's, I'm in a good headspace right now. I'm taking advantage of that by trying to progress as much as possible in terms of, you know, back then. Yeah. It's, it was an ongoing conversation every day to choose into it, choose into moving forward, deciding to push to see what happens. And, um, putting on a bit of a smile and taking it till you make it kind of thing too, because, you know, I had all these people watching me for inspiration, for motivation. And I have loved ones that, you know, also love me and were in pain to see me the way I was. So I, I didn't have a choice in my mind, uh, but to choose into it. And, and that's what I did. Considering you're an athlete prior to the accident, have you looked at any adaptive sports? Yeah, some people think I'm crazy on this one, but uh, I'm already back to mountain biking with an adaptive uh, oh, mountain bike. No, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I get the same reaction from many, but uh, yeah, so I am mountain biking again. Um, I was supposed to race this year, but the series unfortunately uh, got postponed due to insurance purposes. So, um, I'll probably still be heading out to BC because that's where the series is held, uh, but I won't be racing probably till next year. But uh, yeah, I am back in it uh, fully. I've looked into some other adaptive sports like uh, the, the tennis and stuff like that, but I don't have much interest in it. Actually, uh, so I should say um, an amazing organization called High Fives Foundation. They are the ones that got me back into the mountain biking. They are a nonprofit organization that helps injured athletes, um, usually, you know, the outdoor extreme sports, get back into their sport. So they help sponsor me the purchase of uh, my bowhead, which is the adaptive mountain bike. 
and get back into it. And through them, they have a lot of great programs that I'm looking into uh, doing if I can get myself down to the States where they're based out of for like adaptive surf uh, and some other interesting extreme sports because that, that that's what interests me at the end of the day uh yeah it's what got me into the situation but i am who i am at the end of the day would you ever look at something like paralympics or whatnot i, I don't even know if mountain biking's in the paralympics but maybe you could just do a a track bike or something for the short term <laughs> yeah no i um like I've done hand cycling and stuff like that. I do plan on, I have not learned how to swim without my legs yet. Uh, so I do want to find some time to do that because in a few years, I wouldn't mind trying out. I have a friend that does uh, like uh, the triathlons. He's a paraplegic as well. So I thought it might be cool to join him on that in the future. Um, otherwise, not. I have a friend that's on like our Canadian Paralympic basketball team, but I don't. I don't have much interest in it. Just because the time commitment to it, um, I have more interest in building what I'm trying to build on the side. And yeah, there are some of the extreme sports I'm interested in. I do have an interest in potentially competing uh, or getting involved in like wheelchair bodybuilding or, you know, some of the um, fitness stuff and given my background. And then just, yeah, maybe like a couple of races or something like that. But in terms of Paralympics, no, it's never really been too much of an interest of mine. So where to from here now? You're mountain biking. Um, I don't want to say like a crazy person because it's obviously doing great wonders for your mental health, but some would say crazy person, Andrew, that you're back in the sport that caused the injury. But um, where to now? You mentioned a few times that you're building something on the side. What is it that you're building? Yeah. So, well, two things. I'm trying to build my personal branding around, uh, you know, around my story um i mm. think there's a lot of value in it from what people i've i've written uh, quite a bit of like little blog posts on my social media and stuff like that and i always get people that private message me saying that like it really hit them in a positive way get a lot of people that say inspire them stuff like that um and so like i want to have a positive influence on people and, and and stuff like that right and so i got that kind of going slow burn around that um you know i have a book coming with it later this year and just kind of slowly building around that as well as getting ready to engage in public speaking of a few events actually lined up next month uh but the big thing that i'm working on is maximus athletics which is my sport nutrition and supplement company that i'd launched with my partner we actually launched it before COVID, but then COVID hit and all health came. so in canada you need what's called an npn to sell supplements and that's issued by health Canada. So we launched the company with plans to get these NPNs from health Canada to manufacture our supplements to sell. And then COVID hit and health Canada said, we're not issuing anything. Good luck. It, there's much more things that are a priority right now, which totally made sense. So that got put on the back burner. Um, and then my accident happened. So then it really got put on the back burner. And we were able to launch the company uh, officially. The company was already launched, but we were able to launch our supplements finally uh, last year for the first time and just had some steady growth since then. So, you know, obviously fitness is a huge passion to me. I, I credit, you know, the muscle mass I had as to the only reason I survived the accident. So, yeah, the thing I'm trying to build is just really build this company and engage myself in um, athletics and fitness community and try to bridge the gap a little bit for adaptive sports and 
uh, people with disabilities to to the fitness uh, world as well. I interviewed um, a, a, I've interviewed a couple of spinal cord injury people and one of them is Chris McGrath he was an ex um military Australian military personnel who stepped on an IED and um he then ter- uh, went to the Paralympics that's why I was asking you about the Paralympics and he was um a gold medalist in kayaking I think it was or canoeing I, I'm not 100% sure um from memory um so that's and I've interviewed a couple, but if you've seen anybody that's that I've interviewed that you'd like to connect with in terms of the sporting aspect of things and spinal injury, then let me know and I can connect you. Yeah, I'll actually, um, before we had the exchange, I didn't actually uh, see your podcast. So after we had the exchange, I quickly went through, but I'll, uh, I'll take a listen to some of those because I'd be fascinated to just listen to their stories and it'd be kind of cool to connect with them. So I'll, I'll definitely let you know. Yeah, no worries at all. Well, what's the name of the supplement company? Yeah, it's called uh, Maximus Athletics. If uh, anyone wants to check us out on Instagram, it's Maximus Athletics Co. Or our website is MaximusAthletics.com. Well, that's exciting. And where are you supplying? Because obviously I'm sitting in Australia, but where are you supplying to? How legal is it, Andrew? Yeah, so right now, unfortunately, we're only supplying to North America. We are in talks with a guy in the UK, as well as Costa Rica and someone else in Germany, um, just to get an idea of what the regulations are to export to there and actually sell in those markets. Because we had to get, believe it or not, we were actually able to sell, even though we're a Canadian-based company, we were able to sell in the United States before we were able to sell in our own country. And that's just because every country health regulations are different. Uh, so we were able to get approval from the FDA much quicker than we were able to get approval from Health Canada. It's interesting that you were talking about Australia and, and some of the tests in terms of spinal uh, research and, and, and whatnot compared to Canada. I would have thought that Australia was just as complex in terms of their legislation as Canada. So I'm pleased to hear that we're not as complex and that there's opportunities for research there yeah so i didn't know so actually the company that's doing it uh they're a british columbia canadian company but their first trials it was i guess i didn't know anything about this stuff until i talked to them uh it was easier for them to get everything set up and approved in australia so that's why they did them there uh and just just fyi they went well uh, they finished up their first trials, um, I think, last year. Sometime it was like around January or something. So mm-hmm. almost a year ago, and they're setting up for phase two trials in the U.S. Uh, and the reason why they're choosing the U.S. is because they're partnering with a, one of the biggest spinal cord injury uh, hospitals, rehab hospitals there. So it just makes sense for them to uh, do that. So, yeah, Australia, and I've heard of other uh, things go through Australia over here. So Australia, I, I've never looked into it, but Australia must um, be a little bit more progressive in terms of that stuff. Well, I, I you know, that surprises me, but I'm very pleased. But And I think that there needs to be a disclaimer here saying that we're not medical professionals. We've got no ties to this company. Well, I don't. I don't know if you do ties to this company. No, We've got no, no idea in regards to the credibility of their of the trial outcomes. So <laughs> I think we have to put yeah, that no, one in no there. Ties. It's very interesting <laughs> stuff to look into. Uh, but yeah, no no medical background or anything like that. Just something that I obviously have a personal interest and in investment in. 
Yeah. Well, that's exciting. And then in the meantime, Panama in regards to the stem cells. Yeah. So um, I heard some people having some success with stem cells um, and it is one of the leading things for many countries and many different companies for research in um, spinal cord injury, including a couple of top doctors here in Canada that are researching it. And so I was just researching it and I came across uh, this clinic from Joe Rogan, actually just listening to Joe Rogan and he promoted this Panama clinic. So I looked into it a bit more and I noticed a few other like high end people went to it and they actually had a few cases from spinal cord injury. Okay. And um, so I called them up and sent them medical files and uh, it took them about two months to get back to me, but they approved me. Uh, So I went down there uh, about seven months after my injury. So I was pretty fresh. And at that time, yeah, I still just nothing below my chest in terms of function or sensation. And then I was uh, down there uh, for two weeks, and they do they administer through uh, IV as well as directly into your spinal cord uh, around 200 million stem cells, and then they do physiotherapy while you're down there as well. And uh, so uh, it is one of those things, though, like. Uh, a lot of people that I've talked to, they think, you know, you get stem cells and, oh, you're going to be walking in. It's not the case. I, I didn't think it was going to be the case, nor did I expect that. Um, you're, the people I've talked to that have had success with it have gone multiple times, whether it's to clinics in the States or Panama. And, you know, it's kind of, you get a little each time and you got to put the work in with it as well. You have to put that, as I mentioned, you got to put a demand on your body to recover. So I did the stem cell treatment, did the physio down there, came back, continued with the uh, private clinic physiotherapy here five days a week. And I definitely saw uh, results. So a lot of people, they see you with a spinal cord injury um, and, you know, you're paralyzed. They just assume, oh, you can't walk. A lot of days, like, that's like the least of my concerns, you know, temperature regulation, uh, bowel, bladder, sexual function um tmi i'm sorry um you know all those different things that you know affect nerve pain stuff like that and even just little things that like additional core function you know that is night and day difference for you know doing transfers and stuff like that so uh yeah whether it was the the stem cells or just you know me putting in the work or time or luck i don't know can't tell but uh i can tell you that that's the protocol i did and at this point, I am looking to do the stem cells again. I'm actually talking to one of those Canadian doctors I mentioned who opened a clinic in Saudi Arabia to potentially go there. He's invited me there. And I can tell you that, yeah, as someone that was paralyzed at the chest level, I now have uh, full capabilities of using all my core muscles, uh, most of my lower back. And as I mentioned, that uh, that hip flexor that's firing now as well. I had a question and it's completely gone. In terms of... <laughs> Story of my life, Andrew. Yeah, mine too. It's okay. <laughs> In terms of, oh, it was temperature regulation. So I hadn't realized that that would be an issue because it's not like it's a, um, yeah, I just wouldn't have thought that temperature regulation would have been an issue with spinal cord injury. Yeah, a lot of people don't, but it is. So um, before Panama, um, I actually meant to comment on that too. That was that's one of that's why I brought it up. For Panama, I got chills so bad, and like, if you put me out in like a little bit of cold, like it took me hours to warm up again. It was bad. 
Um, after Panama, it, it started to regulate a lot like normal again, uh, which was a huge blessing. Cause like, if I get too cold, like, well, I just think of like, when you get cold, you start shivering and like you tense up and everything like that, you become kind of slow. It frustrated me because I did, just felt like I couldn't do anything. Um, I and you're living in Canada, so it's more. not like it's a well, tropical yeah, climate. Yeah, like our six to eight month long uh, winters, right? <laughs> so it's today's kind of hand winter to begin with. This just makes it worse. So, um, yeah, temperature regulation is a big one. Uh, a lot of people's spinal cord injuries, I think, suffer from it a lot worse than I do, uh, especially, like, as I said, like, after the stem cells, it improved a lot. Um, so for some people, though, like with spinal cord injury, it's everyone's going to be affected differently. With a non-medical background, do you know why it does affect temperature regulation? Um, not necessarily. I think just depend. I think it does depend on which part of your core is hit, but I assume all those receptors are, you know, all those are signals mm-hmm. going into uh, your spinal cord that goes up to your brain, right? Like it's all basically one big highway. So I assume it has something yeah. to do with those receptors and all those signals just kind of be in all over the place. Yeah. I suppose you don't really think about temperature, you know, hot and cold being part of the nerve function and therefore the nervous system, but it, I mean, it is, so that makes sense. But unless you stop and think about it, you don't really consider what is and what isn't, um, the nervous system function, what comes under it. Yeah, well, the, it's everything. It's everything, right? Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize, so like a lot of people, they see my legs not moving, but like, it's like, that's, that's like the tip of the iceberg. There's like every other thing that, you know, the nervous system controls that's impacted. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's literally everything. Wow. How can people find you? You mentioned that you're doing some speaking now. So you're doing corporate speaking gigs? Yeah. Uh, right now, mostly schools and uh, nonprofit things just to kind of build repetition. Uh, I am doing a couple corporate events next month. Um, but yeah, people want to find me. They can find me at Andrew Cougar. That's K-O-O-G-E-R at Gmail. Oh, sorry. That's my email at gmail.com. But uh, Andrew Cougar at, uh, com is my website. And as well as my Instagram, TikTok is A-G Cougar. Um, so A-G-K-O-O-G-E-R. Okay. Well, good luck with everything, Andrew. Um, if you want to meet, I think Chris, who was the Paralympian, I don't think he had a spinal cord injury. He did lose his lower limbs though. Um, but I've also interviewed uh, Billy um, Henderman as well, who was spinal cord. So have a look and see whether or not there's anyone that I can connect you with and um, happy happy to do that, Andrew. And uh, good luck with everything. Your supplement company again is, was it Maximus Athletics? That's correct, yeah. Love it. Cheers, Andrew. Cheers, Fiona. Take care. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 